Well, good morning. Uh, thanks. Uh, some of you know me, some of you don't know me. I am Chase Wagler. I, my parents are the, the two people that sit up here faithfully every Sunday. You might recognize me because I'm the guy who runs around and does things, and if you do see me, it's probably because I did something wrong, so um, hopefully I'm doing something right and you see me today. That's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're here for. Um, uh, so anyways, I do a lot of different things here at church. I have not done this. I have exactly 30 seconds of experience doing this, so you have, uh, you have the pleasure of experiencing what I'm going to experience for the first time as well. So um, it's exciting. I was actually going to start with a joke, and uh, because there's pastors that do that, and this week I was at school listening to uh, YouTube in the background. I was working, and there was a video on the side that says public speaking is professor, and the very first thing he said in his like speech was, don't do a joke to start. So we're going to skip the joke, and we're going to move on to the next thing. Um, now, I'm not big on naming things. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I've been teaching history for the last five years. I'm doing some different things this year. I'm not big on, like, naming my lessons or anything like that, like, you're going to learn what you're going to learn. Uh, but this one I kind of did because I want to give it purpose and understanding a little bit. We're in John 8. I hope that we can get this on the board, potentially. We're in John 8, uh, going verses 12 through 20, and I'm not going to lie to you, verses 12 through 20 has been talked about by a lot of people, a lot of different places. So um, I'm not saying that you're not going to get anything new today, but what I am saying is there's a lot of things you probably have heard before, and that's okay. Um, and so I'm going to call this Reminders for Our Journey, uh, Than, or no, not Than, Sean, likes to go on camping trips and pack out and talks about all the things he takes with him. And this is kind of, in my opinion, this is something that you just, you don't, it's not new to you, but it's something you're going to want along your journey. Sometimes it's nice to have something. My parents, when they go on vacation, when they come home, my mom's favorite thing to do when she gets home from vacation, she wants to make soup. She wants to eat soup. Chicken noodle soup in particular, that's what she really likes, all right? And it's not that the chicken noodle soup is new or it's like something special or outrageous. It's just what she needs at that time, right? And so uh, hopefully today as we get through this, um, this is maybe not going to be something new or something special or outrageous, but maybe it's what you need for this time. Does that make sense? All right, so helpful reminders for our journey. And we are on a journey, um, and we're going to talk about what that is in a little bit. Uh, but really quickly, I want to just say a couple of things. Yeah, perfect. All right. So you'll, you will recognize verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, right? You've heard this before, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you, you might have heard these things before, but just like chicken noodle soup, it's okay to have everyone smile. Um, so there's two reasons I'm excited. The first reason is um, I've been attending this church since I was like very little, and I know most of the people here, if you're new or somewhat new here, you might not recognize me, but I've been here for a long time. I've been in a lot of your homes. I've ate a lot of your food. I know your kids. I've grown up with your kids. I've talked to you about different things. And so I'm excited because I could be nervous, and, and I am, but I'm less nervous because I'm talking to my family, right? And, and we're growing up. I grew up here. And so I'm excited that I get to share with my family today. The second reason I'm excited is I'm a teacher. So as a history teacher, one of the lessons that I give in seventh grade social studies is a world religions lesson, all right? And in world religions, there are three main monotheistic religions, and I have like an entire week where I have to teach them, or I get to teach them more specifically, about 
Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do that. The best way that I found is take the Old Testament, make it fun, make it shorter, and it helps them understand those three religions really, really, really well. And I'm going to go through this really quickly. I'm going to give you like a, a two-minute version of what a week-long lesson would look like because I think it's important. Um, so we know we start the garden, right? We start the garden, then we talk about Abraham, who is Abraham. Like, these kids don't know any of this, right? Because they're, they're seventh graders. Some of them read their Bibles. Most of them don't, right? Um, but we talk about Abraham, and then we talk about what God promised Abraham, right? Then we talk about Ishmael and Hagar and Isaac and that whole situation so we can understand the split between Christ- or Judaism and Islam. And then we get to Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, you know, where Abraham's like, hey, uh, Isaac, there's going to be a stone thing over here. Don't worry about that right now, but some crazy things are about to happen. But trust me, uh, God's got us, all right? And so we can talk about that, and that's a lot of fun. All right, um, and it's about the moment when the kids start to like, oh, this is a kind of a cool story, all right, and they kind of draw in. Um, then we go to Egypt, and we talk about the evil Pharaoh, and we get to do my favorite part of this entire lesson, which is watch clips from the greatest movie ever made, animated anyways, Prince of Egypt, all right? So we get to watch some Prince of Egypt clips, and we talk about the Pharaoh killing the children, and then all the plagues coming, right? We have Moses, then all the plagues come, and we can talk about what is the Passover, then we go out of Egypt, right? We go out of Egypt, and uh, we get the Ten Commandments, um, and then we wander into the desert, and I get to walk them back into Israel, back to the Promised Land, and I get to go to Jesus, and I get to walk through his life, not a lot, but a little bit, and I get him all the way up to the cross, and this is why I'm excited today, because this is where I have to stop. This is where I have to stop. I say, and this is what Christians believe, because I'm a public school teacher, I mean, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not allowed to tell them certain things, all right, um, share them certain ways. And I would say, this is where Christians believe. Today, I get to tell you, this is what I believe, all right? And I, I believe that Jesus loves you, and he died for your sins. And if you believe in him, you have salvation. And I, I'm really excited because I get to speak to you in the full picture of what I believe today. Does that make sense? All right, I'm excited because I'm your family, or you're my family. Hopefully, you accept me, all right? Give me 25 minutes, you might change your mind. Um, you're my family, and I'm excited because I get to tell you what I believe and what I've been reading. All right? So we're going to read. This is only eight verses, if my math is correct. Pretty sure it is. Um, so we're going to read this really quickly. I'm not going to lie to you. I am a Bible study kind of person. Um, that's what I'm used to. I'm not used to doing this. I'm not, I'm not Jeff, who's doing this for a long time. has a lot of experience. We're now at like four minutes, I think. I should put a timer on. All right, so my four minutes of experience tells me we're doing it Bible study style because that's what I'm used to, all right? So we're just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll break it down a little bit at a time. That's what I'm comfortable with, so stick to your guns, right? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, verse 13, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law is written, this is Jesus, that testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They then ask him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. I always stop there, um, and I'm like, oh, 
okay? Uh, Jesus is talking to you, and he says, you don't, know my, you don't know me. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He's saying you don't know. Um, you don't, uh, the first part of that, you do not know me or my father. That would, that would make me stop and back up a little bit. But I always pause there because it's, it's kind of a, it's a statement. Um, and then in verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So Jeff pointed this out a couple of weeks ago that the purpose of John is mentioned at the end of John. And if you read through John, which I've done a lot now in the last couple of weeks, like a lot, a lot, probably more than I ever have in my life, right? You start to see these things where John puts little nuggets before and after and gives context before and after of different things, right? For example, the purpose of John, John 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All right, so he, he puts the purpose, we, the purpose of John was so that you may believe and have life in the name of Jesus, right? And so um, I think this section of verses eight or 12 through 20 does the same thing. It's not the purpose, but he gives some important context, or at least in my opinion, some important context at the end in verse 20. So if we go to verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one had arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So let's put Jesus... And it was very fitting that Katie saying better is one day in his courts because Jesus is in the courts today, all right? Uh, and let's find out exactly where that is. So I found this a really cool, if you, yeah, thank you. I found this really cool um, laser that turns on the, the uh, projector, and I'm going to use it today because, well, I like lasers, and so um, I'm going to go ahead and do that. So Jesus is in the treasury. Now, this is the temple, if you've never seen it. I'm sure most of you have, but if you've never seen this, is temple, and there are courts in different areas. So this big outside ring that you're seeing, that's the court of the Gentiles. All right, there are like four main courts here. Um, that's the court of the Gentiles out here. Uh, this is where non-Jews and unclean Jews at the time um, would gather and be. All right, then you have the court of the women, which is right behind this the podium, but it's right here um, the music stand. It's a door. You go in. There's like this little courtyard before these like rounded half steps. All right, it's the court of the women. And then right on the other side of this door in the middle, if you actually go to the next one, I think we can see this a little bit easier. If you go past that door, you have the court of Israel. Um, the court of Israel is where every day some of the men get to go. Not all of them. Some of the men get to go. But there's a representative of every tribe. Um, there's a representative of every tribe to represent the nation, and then beyond that is the court of the priest, okay? And so there's the court of the priest beyond that, um, and, and so here is where we are. So now Jesus is here because we know where the treasury is. The treasury is in the court of the women. Why is the treasury in the court of women? Well, um, that's where they have their offering receptacles put, and they want to make sure that everyone can do this. So the court of the women is as far as women can go into the temple, hence the court of the women. And in fact, it's where most of the people can go really no much further than the court of the women. Um, and so the treasury was here. So when Jesus is speaking, is believed to be in this like chamber area. Now, this looks small, but a, a football field is about the size of a football field. It's actually wider than a football field. So we can get a lot of people into this area. And we're during a festival, so there's going to be a lot of people here. 
I'm a history teacher, so I'm going to go into a lot of detail about this kind of thing because this is what I like. Um, but I think the context here is going to be really, 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 really important. Um, so just, just to kind of give you an idea about what they would have been giving offerings for inside this court, there were 13 places inside the court of the women where you can give uh, offering or your tax. So you had receptacles one and two, and they said that they were like trumpet-shaped, meaning back then the trumpets were like all round with cool buttons, all right? They were like long horns that were kind of curved at the top. So we think that they're curved, but they're like curved receptacles. You put your money in the top, the funnel's down, all right? So you have temple, uh, a temple tax for um, receptacle one and two. Three and four was buying pigeons and offerings. Um, I believe over time, some of these slightly changed in meaning. One of the persons I was reading about suggested that one of these might have been for women to buy a pigeon to clean themselves after, or to purify themselves after childbirth. So there's like a lot of different um, meanings for these, but just in general. Uh, five was for buying wood for the altar. There's a place to store the wood back here in this corner. Um, six was for the incense for the altar. Chamber of oils right here. Um, and then seven was for the upkeep of like all the golden things and all the vessels that were inside the temple. And then eight through 13 was a general fund to pay the, to, you know, make sure the priests get to eat and the Levites get to eat. Um, and then also I found interesting about this was there was a fund for people who pilgrim in, pilgrim in to pilgrimaged into the temple from faraway uh, lands and they couldn't afford the trip. So once they got there, they were given food for like, you know, to eat so they didn't, you know, pass away. Um, so I found that interesting that the people, when they're giving offering, this is not necessarily important to my message today, but when they're giving offering, they chose what they were giving their offering to. Um, so I think that at times we have done here at the church, I'm probably going to say things I shouldn't say, but if you can ask, I'm sure we would be willing to share, you know, what, are, what is it that you're giving your money to, right? Um, and I think that's a good thing for that transparency. So here they're just like, there's literally, where do you want to give it to? All right, I want to give it to... The wood, so we're going to put it in the wood, right? So you got to get to choose. I found that was interesting. So verse 12, so we know where he is now. You kind of see this. So if we go back to verse 12, uh, when, Je- uh, when Jesus spoke again the peop- uh, to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, so really quickly, just so you understand, uh, when he says uh, again, <clears throat> it's an indication that he was already speaking. Now, I think Nathaniel mentioned this last week. The first 11 verses, right, is the story about the adulterous woman um, and man who was not brought to Jesus. Um, and we can talk about, there was a you know, discussion about if that actually was right there in the Bible, if that, where that story belongs or it doesn't belong. Is it in the Bible? Is it not? And I would encourage you to go back and listen to Than's message last week because it was really, really good describing this. Um, but we know he was speaking. Either it was in that section or from the end of chapter 7. Either way, he was speaking again, all right? And he's going to make a statement. And I think I'm going to split this down to two parts. Part one is the I am statement. So this I am right here, I am, is the first part. Um, and this is the second of seven I am statements that he makes and um, that Jesus says, all right? Um, and I am is referring back to, he's using language. Uh, let me back up really quickly just so you understand this. So one of the reasons I'm telling you about the core of the women is you have to be a Jew to be in the core of the women. You have to be purified to be in the core of the women. All right? So you are a learned person of the Old Testament. Right? You are a learned person of the Torah. So whenever Jesus is speaking, he's using language and terminology that the people that were there would understand the context in which he's saying it. 
Does that, does that make sense? All right? So when he says, I am, in this case, right, they recognize that immediately as being the same words that were spoken to Moses in the, you know, the burning bush, right? Bush is on fire. Moses says, what are you? I am, right? And Moses has a moment where he goes from, I'm running away from Egypt, to he hears, I am, and turns around and goes back to danger, right? I'm calling it a Moses moment, a life-changing moment, right? Do you understand? Um, and so Jesus makes an I am statement. And the Jews that were there, they would have understood this. And I don't know, I mean, like, I have no idea exactly how this, I wasn't there, obviously. But I would imagine God saying the I am statement in the burning bush, and Jesus saying the I am statement here is going to have a similar power to it, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, it's going to have a similar power to it. And I'm, I'm going to, and you'll see this in a second, um, I think you're going to see people who know what he's talking about because they know the history are going to have at least an understanding in their mind, a, Mo a Moses moment in their mind. Does that make sense? Yes? Some of us are looking at me like, I, I'm going to use your faces because I'm a teacher, and so the squinty eyes, like, I don't understand means I need to go back, and I'm not sure I need to go back to. But they're going to, I think that I would imagine hearing Jesus say, I am, all right, is ev at least evoking the thought process of, oh, all right, this is, this is important. We'll, we'll stop there. So part two, then he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, Jesus here is alluding to or referring back to a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament. And I went through and I found, all, I mean, it was all over the Old Testament, uh, the Messiah being represented as light. It's literally littered all over the Old Testament. But I'm actually going to use John, because he mentioned this right at the very beginning of John. John does this fun thing, like I said, Jeff pointed it out. He gives context in other places, gives purpose in other places, hints at things in other places, right? So John's fun this way. It's like hidden nuggets along the way. So John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. All right? And so we see John preparing for this statement, in a way, or preparing for Jesus to say these things, alluding to who he was, right? Light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness. So Jesus is making this statement. He's, making, he's, he's fulfilling prophecies here. And if we go back to the, is it possible to go back to the temple? Is that possible? All right, so here we have our temple. And when Jesus is speaking, I'm going to give a lot of context here because I think the context magnifies this moment. So when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking at the Festival of the Tabernacle. Um, and the Festival of the Tabernacle was one of the three pilgrimages that people make to Jerusalem, to the temple, to um, give offering. But in this festival in particular, it's a celebration of God's provision in the wilderness and it's to look forward to the messianic time when all people will worship the Lord at the temple. All right, so what exactly are they, what was God's provision in the wilderness that they're celebrating here? It's Exodus, Exodus I can speak, I promise. Exodus 13, 20, after leaving Sukkot, they gathered, uh, they camped at Etham. I'm, I'm totally butchering that name, but 
Um, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world in the context of a festival celebrating God being the light to the Hebrews leaving Egypt. Right? Does that, you understand what I'm saying? But Jesus doesn't just do like happenstance, right? It's not just like it was a happy accident. It was a lot more intentional than that. It's this, this is the festival celebrating that. But in the court of the women, there would have been every night during this and you can go back and find this a lot of different places. But every night during the, the festival, they would have lit what was they called uh, candelabras. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I was like, oh, candelabras. I have no idea what that is. And I probably should know, all right? That probably speaks to my ignorance on this situation. But I didn't know. So if you don't know, like me, it's a candlestick. And the candlestick has branches, more than one candle, all right? It's a big candlestick. Now, this big candlestick, all right, is more kind of like a floodlight uh, type situation, it's not in the Bible, but historians commented that this would have illuminated the temple, right? This would have lit up the temple, and it would have been very bright, like day was at night, right? Um, and remember, there was, a whole, there was a whole receptacle for fixing the golden parts or the, the shiny things of the temple, right? That was something you could donate to, and if they kept the donations up, right, there was all kinds of gold glittering at night. Um, historians, uh, Asian historians in particular, commented that it looked like a diamond at night. The temple looked like a diamond, all right? So Jesus is saying, I'm the lie of the world. Now, he could have made this statement at any time. He could have said, I'm the lie of the world at any time, and it would have had impact but instead, he says it whenever they're celebrating the event in which God is represented, gave them light. And he's saying it in the court of the women where these candelabras would have been sitting. Now, we don't know, like, we don't know the time of day. Doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, John doesn't say, like, at 5.02 p.m. Jesus began to speak. Right? That's not what happened here. We don't have that, that level of detail. But you have to believe, or I have to believe anyways, or imagine that as he's speaking, there would have you could have looked over and saw the candelabras. They would have been there, right? He might have pointed at them. They might have been being lit or taken down, all right? Either way, right? Either way, they would have seen this. I found it interesting, right? Because this is a light that's going to go on at night, turned off during the daytime. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, right? And so he presents himself to the people and it gives great context and understanding for them because of the situation that he's in. And I don't know how else to describe this. I think reading the Bible sometimes can be fun, right? I enjoy reading the Bible because sometimes Jesus does really, really, all the time does really cool things. But in this case in particular, he did a cool thing, right? He, was, he used the moment to draw back to himself, all right? I'm not sure there's anything like illuminating, so to speak, in this context, all right? But it's cool to me, or it's interesting to me to read that and understand, oh, he didn't just say this. He said it at a special time, at a special place, with a special purpose. Does that make sense? It wasn't accidental. Okay? Right? And, and the light that they're celebrating at the Feast of the Tabernacle is God leading them out of the desert. And in this case, you will never walk in darkness. 
he's going to lead you to an everlasting promised land. Now, really quickly, I think this is actually the most, to me, it's the part that stood out the most, all right? And I'm going to bring it out now. It's that second sentence, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And I think a lot of times we see the temple, the shining light at night, right? And we run to the light, we go to the light, we accept the light into our lives, have that awesome moment, and then we stop, right? Because it's a following experience. It's not a accept me and stay where you are experience. Nobody said accept the light and sit in forever, all right? Follow me. There's a pick up your cross and follow me. He says this multiple times. Um, and so I would encourage, or as I was reading this, right, um, I was, you know, am I following? Am I walking in this, right? And once I was saying earlier, right, this is not necessarily new. This is just some good chicken noodle soup, all right? You just need it sometimes. So a couple of things. I was in the Bible study that I mentioned earlier that I'm comfortable with, and we were talking about different things and one of the discussions, like a week and a half ago, we got brought up about, like, what does it mean to, like, how do I know that I'm following? Like, what does that actually look like? There are concepts that we're told as kids, like, as I'm getting older, there's adults, there's concepts that you're told as a kid, sin is bad. Okay, well, why is sin bad, right? You, got, you start to, like, explore a little bit further, all right? Um, and so those things that you start to explore, so we were asking the question, like, what does it mean to follow? Well, for the, for the Hebrews— right? For the Hebrews that were coming out, or the Israelites coming out of the desert, all right, I would imagine that there were times, and you're in the desert for 40 years, that that desert, I mean, it's a big place, but it's not that big of a place. They're going to see the same desert sometimes more than once, right? They're going to like, oh, I I recognize this area. Um, And I'm not saying, I don't want to point anything out too big, but sometimes I think it's important to recognize in our journey are we seeing the same desert? Yes? Are we seeing the same desert or are we moving forward? All right? Are we moving forward? Are we missing out on the promised land because we didn't trust the light? Right? A whole generation of the Israelites, they're, they're, they're having a festival celebrating this. A whole generation, though, of Israelites missed out on the promised land because they did not trust the light. Yeah? They missed out on the promised land, the physical promised land, because they did not trust the light. And so I would take measure, and I took measure over the last week and a half, what are those things in my own life that are preventing me from walking and trusting in the light? What are those things that pull me off the path? All right? So, 13, we get to move on now. I promise I'll speed up the train here a little bit. Um, So, the Pharisees said to him, in verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. All right? So, I think what I was referencing earlier, these moments, these Moses moments, right? The I am statements, all right? I think right away, this has been a packed court full of people who know what's going on. They understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, all right? And I think some would have to have believed. There was, we know there would have been believers, a few believers there anyways, but we 
People have never heard of Jesus, would have heard what he was saying, understood the context of what he was saying, and believed. And the religious leaders really quickly went out to put out the light, right? <laughs> the light was being shown. Like, we got, oh, let's put that back away real quick, all right? And um, really quickly, I just want you to understand, darkness, when light is coming, darkness flees, but it's not necessarily eliminated, right? It's still there. It is out there somewhere, all right? Um, and darkness is always looking to come back. All right, and sometimes, unfortunately, we know. I just want you to be aware, and you know this. All right, but darkness comes from unexpected places. These were the religious leaders, and right away they're going to come in and challenge. They're going to challenge what Jesus is saying. The leaders had unbelief. All right, um, one of the what I was referring to earlier. There's a lot of people that spoke about this. And so there's a lot of resources to listen to, and one of the people that I was listening to and watching and listening about, right, referenced the leaders had unbelief. And they say here, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Their unbelief never has enough proof, right? Unbelief never has enough proof. If you're unbelieving, you cannot get enough proof to become believing. Does that, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you, it never has enough proof. So I interject a warning because uh, the person, one of the, the people that I was listening to, interjected this warning as well, and I thought it was, well, it made me stop and think. So hopefully, it benefits you um, about belief and unbelief. And there's a lot of different types of unbelievers, and I think that these uh, believers fit into a category. And I'll tell you which one it is, and I'm sure you can figure it out by listening. So if you're an unbeliever because you're unaware, not knowledgeable of the truth. You can learn and become a believer, right? If you don't know, if you have a child that's one years old, I don't know any child that, like, the first thing that he said was, I love God. I mean, I'm sure that maybe happened, but I've not heard that. He's an, he doesn't know, right? He's not an unbeliever because he's heard about God. He's an unbeliever because he doesn't know. And so you raise him up to become a believer, right? You educate him above the truth. But there's a second unbelief. If you're an unbeliever, and are knowledgeable about who he is and who he claims to be with the proof provided, then you are an unbeliever of your own choice. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this, but I would just suggest to you to think that is a dangerous unbelief to have. All right? That is a dangerous unbelief to have because that's an unbelief that is defiant. And I think there is a difference between ignorance of truth and ignorance of believing because you choose just not to do so. There is a difference. And the leaders, they couldn't hear Jesus for what he was claiming because when they came to hear him, they didn't want to believe. They were choosing not to believe. They didn't want to hear Jesus because they had their own agendas when listening, right? They had their own agenda. They they could care less what he was really saying. What they really wanted was to trap him. I think Nathaniel pointed this out last week. They tried to trap him, and then Jesus found, um, as Nathaniel referred to it, as the third way, right? The third way. And so there is unbelief. I, I want to tell you really quickly, I think that we can fall into an unbelief this way as well, right? We have unbelief because we come with our own agendas. I hear a lot of people, they don't necessarily talk to me about this, but a lot of people uh, refer to, Jesus didn't answer my prayer. Well, when you prayed, you already knew what you wanted as the answer, and when your answer wasn't fulfilled, well, Jesus didn't answer my prayer. That was unbelief because 
or you, you created a sense of unbelief because you went in with your own agenda about what you wanted to have happen. Does that make sense? Do you understand? All right, and I think there is, you know, Jesus referring to himself as the light here, and there are all kinds of different ways for darkness and unbelief to creep in. Right? You ask a child, what's a really bad sin? Murder. Murder's a really bad sin, right? What shouldn't you do? You shouldn't lie, right? Those are big doors that walk through and smack you, and you got a lot of darkness coming in. But sometimes I think that darkness will take the crevice on the floor, right? Sometimes darkness will take the crevice on the floor. It's the little unbelief, all right? The other night, about a week ago, I started a, uh, working into a new trend that's taking over the country. You might have heard of it called pickleball, right? And everyone's like out here like knee braces and ankle tape, and here we go. Pickleball, it's time to, fu- it's time to play. And my friends wanted to play, and I have access to some courts and we were trying to play during the day, couldn't get it figured out, so we started at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. Now, 9 o'clock on Sunday night right now, I don't know if you know this or not, it gets dark outside because, you know, the sun goes down, all right? And I was like, well, let's see if this court has light. Well, it didn't have light. What it was was courts, pickleball courts, besides some tennis courts. The tennis courts had lights. The pickleball courts did not. But they were right beside the light, right? They were right beside the light. And so if you turned on all the tennis court lights... You could get maybe about a 75% of enough light to play pickleball. It wasn't perfect, but it was okay, right? Like, I still won, so it was perfectly fine. But, all right, it wasn't perfect, but it was okay. And I think sometimes in our walk, in our following Jesus, right, sometimes we will accept the okay right? We'll exist in an area that's dimly or not quite fully lit. Does that make sense? And I think it is a, I didn't fall off into the darkness playing pickleball, but it is, it, it's a murky area where if you're walking in somewhat dimly lit light, you could fall and all of a sudden you're further away from the light than what you were a minute ago, right? So anyways, I just wanted to bring this out because I think it's, it's interesting. We are a long ways into this. I'm two verses in, so I know Sean's not telling me to hurry up, but I smell food, and that's coming up, so we're going to move on. But I just want you to be aware, right? Darkness creeps in in different ways. Verse 14. How are we doing? We're doing all right? Yeah? We need to do, like, uh, I had a a lady who was giving a professional development at school. We got to do brain breaks, and so brain breaks resets our mind. So if you get into a brain break, I don't know what those are, like this whole thing, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, can you do, Yeah. So if you need a brain break to reset really quickly, I know I'm saying a lot of things, but I think it's important. But feel free. So if you just stand up and do a brain break, I won't judge you. Other people will, but I won't. Um, So 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. All right? So really quickly, where is he coming from? Where is he going? Where did he come from? Where did he go? Um, He came, thank you, uh, he came from God and he's going back to God, right? Um, And he's calling out their unbelief. He's calling out their unbelief. My testimony is true, for I know where I come from, but you do not know. You do not know. He's calling out their unbelief. 
All right? And he's calling it out in a way because the Pharisees have followed him around. Like, they've been traveling and listening and watching. They've had reports sent back to them. They know that he's fulfilling prophecies. This whole light situation is the fulfilling of a prophecy. And they're not investigating their claims honestly, all right, fervently, his claims fervently. And so he's calling out their unbelief, their refusal, the refusal to be open-minded and understanding what he's saying, right? The unbelief of choice. You know, and, and if you're a group of religious leaders, if you're a group of religious leaders today and Jesus comes back, but you do not know where I come from, where I'm going, that's a, that's a powerful statement to have, have been said. 15 and 16. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Now, I like this. I like this a lot. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And then he says, well, yeah, I do judge, and we know he's going to judge because it said so in John 5, right? But he's not judging according to how we judge each other. Right? He's calling us to a higher standard. Uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard, we regard no one as... Now I'm going to start over. 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly, worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. All right? How do we see people? How do we judge people? And I think Jesus has given us a good example of this. It is not through an earthly standard in which you view people. All right? One of my friends say he's got a non-earthly way to look at people. He likes to say all the time, souls to be saved, because that's what they are. That's what you are, right? Souls to be saved. It is a way of looking at people and responding to people. And Jesus is giving insight to how he's going to do it, all right? And I have no problem following that example. And if I do judge, my judgment is true. It's a just judgment. Why is it a just judgment? It's because it's in accordance to what he hears. John 5, 30, by myself, this is Jesus speaking, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but to him who sent me. Now, I apologize. We, we're in John 8, so that means that someone spoke on John 5, 5.30. I'm not sure who that person was. I apologize. I wish I took notes because I'm sure you did a great job. But that was a verse that stuck out to me, that last part in particular. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. When we judge, do we judge in a way that pleases God? Do we judge in a way, um, and we're not necessarily called to judge, but when we see people and we make the conclusions about people, are we concluding in a way that pleases God? Does, does that make sense? Yes? I wore the black shirt today with an overshirt as reference to someone who did this before. Maury, he, he liked to do that. He would do the black shirt with the overshirt. And then he also said, yes, no, right? You all know, what I'm if you were here, you knew exactly what I'm talking about. He said, this means yes, this means no. 
So, does that make sense? Yeah, okay, there we go. So good. I'm not going to make you take a test here later, I promise. Um, but if you go ahead and say yes now, we'll, we'll skip that part. Right? Do you, do you understand, though? There is a higher calling to see people, and Jesus is making that statement here. Yes, all right, there we go. We're getting it now. All right. So you judge the flesh, I judge no one. I, I just wanted to point out, I put this in my notes. Um, Jesus here, right, is saying they're judging in a wrong way. And later on we're going to read about this, right? But they pay the price for this judgment in this way. They're going to pay a price for this, right? So verses 17, 18, and 19. 17, 18, and 19. In your own law it is written that testimony of two witnesses. So Jesus is kind of now, he's answering their question. At first he kind of says some other things, but now he's going to answer their question. In your own law it is written that testimony of two witnesses is true. If I am one who testifies for myself, my witness is the Father who sent me. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me, right? So two witnesses. Um, they ask him, where is your father? Do you not know me? Uh, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Right? They made a judgment of human flesh. They judged him not as the son, but as a man. And they're paying the price here. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Where we stopped earlier when I was first read through this, it made me pause. In 19, you do not know me or my father. They made a judgment on the man, okay? And, and we know from um, when Jeff spoke at the end of 7, we watched the clip of The Chosen, right? This infuriates them again. This is Jesus has been saying these things and it's infuriating these leaders, um, and we see the scene folding out that we saw in the chosen clip where they're going to, they, they wanted to grab him, but he's not, gri- he's not grabbed, right? In verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. All right? We see it again. He makes a statement. He teaches to the people, but his hour had not yet come. He was on his own schedule, a divine schedule. It was not an accident that he was there during the Feast of Tabernacles to make the I am, the I am, the lie of the world statement during the celebration of the light that was leading the people. And it's no accident at the end of the time when he was there that he was not seized. He was on a divine schedule. So, that is 20 verses, I think. Yes? Or verse 20, not 20 verses. It's eight verses. Um, so, hopefully, I don't know if that's shorter, that's long. I really don't know where we are. But uh, hopefully, we have added some things to our packs. Right? Hopefully, we have had a little bit of chicken noodle. Hopefully, your chicken noodle that you've had is good. Because my mama's is really, really good. All right? So, hopefully, this was a good chicken noodle. Um, Made with that real, that real chicken, right? That real broth. Um, raise it ourselves, you know? 
some homegrown chicken noodle. Anyways, um, so some things as, as a review, right? Jesus claims the I am. Jesus claims to be God, the lie of the world. We follow him and get led into the promised land. Trust the light, right? The untrusting of the light can lead us to see the same desert again, to miss, to miss out on the promises of everlasting salvation. Where is your unbelief rooted? If there is unbelief, where does it come from? Is it rooted in knowledge or in ignorance? And if it is rooted in knowledge, or let's start there, if it's rooted in ignorance, are we willing to become knowledgeable? And if it is rooted in knowledge, if you know better and you still have unbelief, are you willing to self-examine, to grow? To move away from what I would consider a dangerous place? And how do we judge? Do we judge and look at people in a way that would please, that would please God? Alright, so those are my, my three ingredients. Hopefully you got something today. Um, and I think we're going to go into communion, so if the worship team wants to come back up. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we should, yes, we do. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have um, several places around the room for which you can take communion. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being in our presence in our midst today. Thank you for... uh, your message and and being the light of the world. Thank you for providing a path for which we can walk. Jesus, I thank, I, I pray that as we leave, that we contemplate, we reflect, we examine, we look for the places in our life as, as we're walking, that we walk into the light and in the light. I pray that um, as we go from this place, we, we take a new perspective on how we see people. And I thank you for your sacrifice that allows us to be here, to walk into the promised land, the everlasting promised land. So Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your word. And in Jesus' name, amen.